I'm reading to you this morning from 1 Thessalonians, starting, uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do not love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Good morning, everybody. That's good, I can hear a few of you. Can't see you very well, but hopefully I can hear you. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name is Sarah. Uh, I am the Children's and Families Minister here. Um, I've been doing this for almost 18 months. Before I took this role, I was working in the cafe, um, mostly baristering. Um, there's a thing about baristering or working in a cafe where you begin to learn people's preferences about their teas and coffees and how they like to drink it. Everyone is very particular. You might not think you are, but you are, I promise you. And one of the things you can do, one of the things I think that makes a great barista uh, is remembering people's orders. Now, I always joke, but it's actually really true, that I will remember your coffee or tea order before I will remember your name. Now, for some people, that's a big tick. They like that. They like to have their tea or coffee order remembered. Um, we like to please people uh, and make sure we give them what they want. Uh, we had a lady who, she was a semi-regular uh, that would come into the cafe. And I remember the first couple of times she came in, she would try and describe what it was that she wanted. Um, and it wasn't easy to get right. It wasn't a difficult order, but she wasn't necessarily great at telling us what it was that she wanted. Now, it worked out that what she actually just wanted was frothy or texturized, if you're a barista, milk, with just a teaspoon of espresso on top. 
Now she would say, I just want a little bit of coffee and mostly milk. And so you'd kind of start with a little, you know, start with a, is a half shot right? Nope, nope. A quarter shot, nope, that's still too much. Once we worked it out, once I worked out that she wanted the milk and then just a teaspoon on top, it was like her eyes lit up. That is exactly what I want. And she knew exactly what she wanted. And we now knew how to make her happy, how to please her, how to get her order right. Imagine if someone comes to your house and you offer them a cup of tea and they tell you they drink it white with one sugar and you hand them a black coffee with a teaspoon of salt. Are we going to make them happy? No. Uh, we know how to get these things right. And we know because we listen and we hear and we do things the way that we know are going to please the people uh, that are asking for it. Our passage today uh, dives into what makes God pleased. How do we please God? Now, I don't think that we love that phrase, right? We don't really want to please anyone but ourselves. But Paul, in our passage today, uh, tells us that we are to live to please God. If you are a Christian, a person who loves and follows Jesus, your goal in your life is to please God. In verse 1, he says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. He's encouraging them. You are doing this. You are the people of God and you are living for him. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And this is what this passage is all about. He kind of puts this in between uh, lots of encouragement at the beginning of the book of Thessalonians. Um, and after this, he will speak to them about the end times, about what it, what it means for Jesus to come back and what that might look like. But before he does that, he says, you're in the world right now. And while you're in the world this is how you should live. You should live to please the Lord. Okay, so in verse 7, it says to us, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. This is the first key to how to please God while we live in this world. We please God more and more through holy living. We love everything that God has made more than we love God. And so in order to know how to pursue holiness or holy living, we must first pursue God. How do we know how to make someone's cup of tea or coffee right? We ask them. We listen to them. How do we know how to please God? We ask him. We listen to him. We read his word. His word tells us of his design for the world and the people that he has made. And by knowing God, we can see what holiness is. And we draw near to the one whose love is beyond our understanding and whom wants what is good for his people. To please God is to live under his good design for people. Verse 3 tells us that it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's act of sanctifying you for you then to pursue holiness. And to do this more and more, you are to grow in holiness, to heed to the Spirit's convic convictions. 
that you should learn to control your body. To be sanctified is to be holy, and to be holy is to be set apart, and you are set apart to live in a way that pleases God. Sanctification is God's will for you, and it is a constant growing in godliness. It's easy for us to think that we have fought the battles and we're just being really good Christian people now, but actually you will never stop growing. You need to constantly seek to grow in godliness. And Paul is telling the Thessalonian people, do not become complacent. Don't think that because we've encouraged you and because you are doing really well in these things that that it's okay to just stop growing now, to not look for other ways to continue to grow in godliness. Sanctification is dying to sin more and more. I was listening to a song the other day and it had this line that said, uh, sin has lost its grip on me. And I was struck with this visual picture of hands grabbing onto our arms or tentacles even of octopus tentacles gripping onto us. This is how sin can be. Sin grips onto us and we actually have to peel it away. We have to pry it out of our lives. That picture just has been stuck with me all week because as we are sanctified, we are to pull off the tentacles, pull off the grip that sin has on our lives. It is a constant work but it is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who works in us to sanctify us. And even though it's the work of the Spirit, we still must pursue it. And this is what Paul is saying to the people in the church in Thessalonica. We must be sanctified. This is God's will that you continue to die to sin, that you continue to grow in holiness, that you pursue God and the way that he has called you to live. He gets really specific about this. Actually, before I read that, let's do... I'm going to read this card. Um, I have this series of cards there called Theology 101 cards. They're actually for kids, um, but I think they're incredibly useful for adults. Um, And their summary of sanctification... Um, is incredibly helpful. When something is sanctified, it is made clean, whole and without blemish. God's desire is for his children to be set free from their sin and walk in his ways. The process of sanctification is the lifelong process by which God makes us like himself through his spirit. In salvation, we are united to Christ, the Holy One. God does not just desire to save our souls in eternity, but to make us like him in our daily lives today. By giving us his spirit to dwell within us, God sanctifies us and makes us more and more like himself. He purifies us by revealing the sin in our hearts and lives and calling us to repentance and helping us walk in his commands. Sanctification is the work of God, but it is a lifelong pursuit of living holy. 
It's not easy. It's the shaping and the scraping of your heart. And it goes against everything that our flesh and our culture wants. And this is why then Paul then goes into this area of sexual immorality particularly. And it's because this is a huge issue in the Greco-Roman world that he is writing to. Paul and the other Christians were faced with many temptations. In this day, marriages in the Greek and Roman world were set up by family arrangements. Young men and teen girls who had barely met were married. It was simply a legal arrangement for the exchange of goods and money and for the purpose of producing children. Now, you might have heard that kind of idea before, but what happened when that was their culture was that it created an environment where most people did not expect husbands to be committed to their marriages. Sexual misconduct and idolatry were widespread. Prostitution was a business just like any other income-making scheme, just like any other job. As I looked back at what this culture was like, this quote kept coming up. Mistresses we keep for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children. This is the culture that Paul is writing into. And actually, it's not all that different when we think about our culture today. Our culture is sex-obsessed. I went onto Netflix the other day, and if you don't have Netflix, you have kind of profiles down the side. So we have a kid's profile, um, we have our own profiles. Um, And I clicked on my profile, and what happens is at the top, it'll give you like an advertisement for something that's like recently come onto Netflix or has new um, um, episodes come up or whatever it might be. It's not necessarily the things, and actually usually is not the things that I want to watch. The other day, I went onto my Netflix profile, and straight away it came up a show called Sex Education. Now, that sounds like it should be good, but it's not. It's actually, well, from the five seconds of that I, until I could change it really quickly, um, it is not a show that actually anyone, I think, should be watching, and it's not educational. It's actually quite terrible. Um, and even within the couple of seconds of it being on that screen, um, there were inappropriate things that were not good for my kids to be able to hear as they walked through the room. Um, but you can't avoid it. You can't avoid what the world wants to teach you about sex. It is everywhere. You are saturated by it. It's in every TV show. It's in every book you read. It's all over the place. Our world is obsessed. Now, it could be really easy for us to say, well, actually, as, you know, as people who are Christians and we're in the church, we just need to avoid it. It's not going to impact our marriages, our lives. But when we look uh, at churches, the divorce rate in church is only 1% to 2% lower than that in our culture. That tells us that we're not all that different. The amount of sexual misconduct within churches, you only need to go on the internet for 30 seconds and you will find many, many cases. And because of this, the reputation of our churches are tainted. I was looking uh, 
So on the Illawarra Mercury, they had an uh, article about a church potentially going in West Dapto in the industrial area. Um, and while I couldn't read the actual article, I read the comments. I was like, this is going to be insightful, right? Like, let's see what people think about churches. If there's going to be a church going into the area, what are they saying about this? Um, and I can tell you that they either loved it, which is great, or they had many horrible things to say about the way they view church. Uh, they said it in, indoctrinates their children, um, treats them badly. They're places where sexual misconduct is rife, and that is how people in our culture now view church. And that's scary to think about. And what Paul writes here to this church who are living within a culture very similar reminds them that as Christian people, they can't let that stuff infiltrate their lives. We are called as God's people, as they were when Paul wrote this, they're called to be sanctified and to avoid sexual immorality. We tend to read that phrase, sexual immorality, and jump really quickly to the bigger, more obvious kind of offences. We think of adultery, explicit pornography, sex outside of marriage, and it can be really easy for us to go, okay, well, that's not me. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm not addicted to porn. I'm not having sex outside of marriage or with somebody that I'm not married to. But people don't start there. They start somewhere much closer to home. This use of sexual immorality in this passage is an umbrella term. It means all sexual immoral practices. And we have to stop and think about the slow but dangerous impacts that the influences are having on our lives and on our view of something that God created. And here is this warning to not become complacent. Let's think about what are the shows that you watch. Like I said before, every show seems to have something to teach you. And most of it is not what God would have you taught. The books we read, there are books disguised as Christian books that I would describe as soft porn. There are books that will get into your imagination. If you're anything like me, I'm a very visual person, and so when I read, I enter into a world. It can be dangerous. The magazines that you buy or that you read online, the music that you listen to, all of these things, because of the culture that we live in, will influence and impact your view of sex. It's like we've added all these other things in. What it comes down to is if watching that show, reading that book, is leading to fantasizing, lustful desires, and I think a big one, dissatisfaction in your own marriage and relationships. It's not leading you then to walk in the way of the Lord, and it needs to stop. It will start small. No one sets out to commit adultery. No one sets out to get to that point where there's no return. It'll start with wishing that your husband or your wife 
would care for you the way that person in the movie or the show or the book does or makes you feel the way that person did. Our culture and our flesh tell us it's okay to give in to our own desires, to satisfy ourselves, meet our own needs if necessary, or look elsewhere if we aren't feeling satisfied in our marriages. But as sanctified people, we are not to give in to these fleshly desires, but to seek to please God by living in a way that is holy and honourable. The cup that God has given us of what sex is, we've added salt. We've added all the things that don't belong. But God says to live in a way that is holy and honourable. We need to be disciplined to control our passions God designed sexual activity for a male and female inside a covenant of marriage. And in that context, we should rejoice and be thankful for God's gift to us. When we know God, we live differently because we understand why he created the world the way he did, why he created males and females, and why he created sex. When we use or view it in the wrong way, we're adding other things in to the good design that God made. And it taints it. It ruins it. The good news is that God does not leave us to do this alone. He gives us his Holy Spirit. This is not just a tack-on line in a verse, but incredibly important. How do we fight the fleshly and earthly desires? We ask God through the power of his son for his spirit to fight within us. The truth is you can't do it. You can't battle the flesh. You can't resist temptation. But the spirit within you can. And Paul is reminding the church and he's reminding us that as people who know and love God, we have his spirit to give us the power to fight these things. God cares deeply about this issue. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. Not only do these issues affect others, they break relationships, damage people and families, but even more, they break our relationship with God. We cannot say that we are a disciple and a follower of Jesus and continue to live in unrepentant sin. Paul then moves into another area of pleasing God. And you might think this is kind of a completely different topic, but it's not. He specifically uses that example of sexual immorality because it's about how we care for one another. He then talks about the second way to please God is through loving others. And he uses a couple of phrases that I think we think are kind of odd and interesting. Um, to live quietly, to mind your own business and to work with your hands. He says, aspire to live quietly. That is, avoid 
public controversy. Don't look to draw attention to yourself or gather a crowd to watch you and who you are and what you do, but live quietly and faithfully. When I was thinking about what this looks like, a couple of examples came to my mind, and they would be my mother and my, mu and my nan, who's my mother's mum. Uh, when my mum passed away, I had someone share with me who uh, used to be in their Bible study, um, and they said to me, your mum didn't say a lot, but whenever she spoke, everybody listened, because you know that she stopped and she's thought hard about what she's going to say. People who live quietly are the people you listen to when they speak, because you know they have stopped, they've thought carefully, and they've remained faithful in hearing God's prompting of when to speak. My nan is also like this. I feel like she's, she's, probably, she's 92, I think, 92 or 93, and I swear every time I see her, I watch her bite her tongue. She has the ability to not say something when everybody else wants to speak up really quickly. She knows when to not speak. I wish I was like that. I don't know how I... That, that seemed to have missed me. <laughs> what a gift it is to have people who you know live quietly and faithfully because they listen more than they speak. And this ties into the next point of minding your own business. Now, I kind of like this saying. Um, when I showed John my uh, slides, he was like, mind your own business? What do you mean? I said, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it says... Mind your own business. <laughs> and it actually says that. And it says that because Christians should not be busybodies. We should not be trying to find out everybody else's business, getting overly involved in each other's lives just for the sake of it. And that's not saying that we shouldn't care for one another or know each other deeply. But we're not to meddle just for the sake of it. That's not showing others love and care. Paul then says you need to work with your hands. Christians are called to work to support themselves. It's not to be an unnecessary burden on others. And that, this is that we should call upon one another absolutely when we're in need. But in this particular context, there were many people who were giving up work to wait for Jesus. But then they were relying on others to provide for them. And Paul calls them out and he says... You need to support yourselves. Don't be a burden on other people. We're not loving one another by doing this. When we live a quiet and faithful life, one where we are thoughtful in how we approach others, it shows a great love for them. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, love is a powerful testimony. When we live differently, people notice, and they notice because we love and care for people. Live this daily life that you may win the respect of outsiders. God wants us to love one another so that other people will notice that. I think when it comes to holiness, 
and sanctification when it comes to living a holy life and loving others. We often ask this question, do I feel convicted by this? Do I feel convicted by these sins, by this way of living? I actually want us to not ask that question, but to say, does this glorify God? And does this honour the Holy Spirit in me? And does this draw those around me towards godly living? When we consistently ask the question of my own convictions and the things that I think are right or wrong, we're not looking outside of ourselves to think about how we glorify God and how we help others to live the way that he would have them live. Paul recognises that there is a need to urge the Thessalonian Christians to not become complacent. As they live in this world, they need to live distinctly in their conduct and they need to grow consistently in their holiness. Paul gives them and us a vision of a Christian life that pleases God. And in order to know how to please God, we need to know him. How he designed the world and how he commanded us to live. And to seek continually to grow by the Spirit's work in us. With the view that not only will we grow more to be like God, but that others might come to know him through us too. In a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you a couple of minutes of quiet time to reflect. Not just maybe what the Spirit is convicting you of, but also maybe some of the things in your life that are not helping others to come to God. After a song, we're going to have communion and so I want you to take a couple of minutes now to pray quietly, reflect quietly, and ask God to use his spirit to grow you to be more like him. Join me as I pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much you sent Jesus into the world. We thank you that you give us your spirit and we pray that your spirit will be at work in each and every one of us. Please grow us towards you. Lead us in the way of holiness and help us uh, to continue to seek to please you and not ourselves. Amen.